comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Catherine revved up the microwave, I'd piss my pants and forget who I was for a half hour or so. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. I'll be there in 10. Is this a five-minute argument or a full half hour? You have 30 minutes to move your car. Your car. You have 30 minutes to move your cube. Your cube. You are listening to A Half Hour Wasted. Now legal in all 50 states. everyone and welcome to half hour wasted episode 511 is that what you just told me frank yes sir yeah. frank's here bill's it's very here exciting. bill is yes. in norman oklahoma of all places but thanks to technology motherland we are all sitting around the vir- the same virtual table you know uh we we need to acknowledge that we've been on uh, it is for for uh, a few weeks so uh this is our first time back together 2020 <laughs> hashtag 2021 baby yeah, I feel we could have absolutely been off for another week because uh, it occurred to me about two days ago that I had another um, um, I had another possible file that we could have run as a uh, random audio. We um, can do that back. eventually. Keep it in your back pocket. Yeah. Well, see, no, I, I have uh, because in early 2016, yes, four years ago, five years ago, I um, I did a uh, uh, I did a little uh, frustrated uh, DJ thing. And I did my uh, my top music of 2015. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was topical because it was just barely 2016. Well, that's then I did an episode, and uh, I said, "Eh, I'll probably get busted by uh, by standards and practices or something." And so I just uh, I just I left it in my hard drive, and it's been there for the last five years. Uh, it's never seen the light of day. So well, at some point, I, I can't imagine. I think it's old and musty enough that we could get away with playing it as a random audio file. Yeah. More random audio than hey, here's a uh, best of 2015 uh, sure. file. So at some point in the future, if the people by the people, I mean both of you uh, yes. demanded to uh, consider releasing it and uh, you know slancha in the in the interim. All right, we need to uh, we need to acknowledge that the Walking Dead TV podcast hit uh, their 300th episode uh, recently. So congratulations to Russ, Jim, and and the rest of the guys over there. Did they have delicious barbecue? Because they should have. No, that's just a half-hour wasted thing, I believe. Yeah. That's, that's, that's only for half-hour wasted 300 episodes. Yes. But, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's quite an accomplishment, uh, especially they had commented about, you know, how they've talked about spinoffs and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's not like 300 episodes of Walking Dead. But, uh, you know, they, they really kind of kept that world uh, – uh, lived in that world for 300 episodes worth and that's pretty that's pretty impressive is this a 300 episode thing is was that a one-off or do we do that like on multiples like will we have barbecue for episode 600 900 etc etc yeah we can i mean uh we can we can make our own traditions (laughs) if we're not all back in the same 
room by episode 600, I think we'll have much bigger things to worry about. You're probably right. So this morning, I uh, uh, or I've actually been on a quest. Uh, You know, I've been in my neighborhood for close to a year now. And uh, so I've been trying to find uh, some very good uh, breakfast tacos, places that make them that are nearby. And uh, unfortunately... The right. best tacos I have found are the furthest away, and they're at a 7-Eleven gas station. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I've gone to all these authentic places and stuff, and uh, nothing is beating these 7-Eleven uh, breakfast tacos. It's uh, it's upsetting me a little bit. Why, um, because you have to drive? Well, uh, you know, you, you would think that, that an, an authentic little taqueria would, would have the best and at the best price. But yes. uh, but the 7-Eleven, uh, and, and actually it's not 7-Eleven, it's a place called Laredo Cantina, which is located inside the 7-Eleven. There you go. Uh, that has it. And, uh, if you look and hard enough. They're just super good. I bet you'll find places like that, you know, everywhere you go. You know, yeah. and like... I drive past gas stations all the time that have like a little logo of some what looks like a little Mexican restaurant type of logo. It's probably that same thing where yeah. somebody inside is just cooking up handmade tacos and enchiladas. Yeah. Awesome. I, I uh, ran into a bunch of those when I used to haunt around um, Bish Parts a little bit. We have a, a gas station uh, within striking distance of my house that's got a taco casa in it. And, uh, Every now and again, I'll have to uh, I'll have to check the taco casa scene out. But their hot sauce is hot. Mm. Is it? Precious little tongue. Is it the same taco casa that has franchises around Texas? Or is I mean, it it's a different? Well, it's not a one-off. So here's it's the, the corporate casa. Okay, so here's the deal. If you go to tacocasa.com, it pulls up a taco casa restaurant that's not in Texas. I think it's in Oklahoma or somewhere up there. But if you go to tacocasatx.com, then it pulls up the taco casas that we see around here. Ah, okay. I'm going to test this out. I, uh, TX, uh, babe. Back when I used to, uh, back when we used to go into the office, uh, there was a gas station close to where I worked that had a sit down portion. Oh my God! They had the best, best, best tacos. They, they were so good. We used to go there like uh, uh, once every couple of weeks because it was so good. Always crowded. Uh, you know, it, it was the best known secret uh, in that area. And uh, it's funny that it was just in a, um, in a. I think it was a Shamrock gas station that was just right next door to it. I've got one in Louisville. It is. I think it calls itself Taco Hut. And yeah. Uh, it's inside a Chevron um, or a Valero just over there on 121. And um, my elder daughter, Ashley, discovered it. She lives in Arkansas, but whenever she comes home, she makes a point to always go to Taco Hut to get her street tacos because they're the best. So, I've neglected there's ahead, a Del Taco in Norman um, that, uh, that I, I look longingly at every time I drive by it. I am there freaking hungry all of a sudden for tacos. <laughs> Uh, one one more uh, one more name drop or restaurant name drop. Uh, there is a place in Dallas called Mike's Chicken, uh, which they serve just some delicious, just delicious chicken tenders, fried chicken, whatever you want. Uh, that's chicken based. But 
it's it's next to and practically inside of a, a laundromat. <laughs> and uh, uh, man, uh, the only way you can get service there within 30 minutes is to call ahead yeah. right when they open. And uh, and you pay ahead, and then and then uh, they'll have it ready for you. But if you just show up at lunchtime, uh, you're going to be waiting a good 30, 45 minutes just to sit. And there's nowhere to sit either. There's probably 10 spots in the whole place. So a lot of times you'll see people sitting on the parking lot or even in the washeteria eating their <laughs> their lunch. Bill's on, awesome. Bill is on earbuds today. He's not on a hardwired mic. And I noticed on Skype here watching that – while Frank was talking, Bill, you were talking, and none of it was coming through. So we're we're gonna have to see. Just then, you spoke, and I was still talking, and it didn't cut through. So we didn't hear what you said. So we're gonna have to, you know, give we're gonna have to give Bill a chance to talk as much as we might not want to, Frank. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get started. Um, by popular demand, namely Johnny M, texting me every other day. When are you guys gonna talk about Mandalorian? When are you guys going to talk about Mandalorian? Well, here it is, season two. We're going to start with our Mandalorian recaps. And I think if memory serves, last year when we did this, we did two episodes of Mandalorian per half-hour wasted episode, and we released them back-to-back-to-back-to-back over four weeks. We probably won't do that this time because today we're going to talk about two episodes, and then when we record our second episode today, we're going to talk about other stuff. So anyway, let's jump in to... The Mandalorian, Chapter 9, The Marshal, directed by Jon Favreau. Have, how many times <clears throat> have you guys seen these Mandalorian episodes in general? Let's see. This is Frank. I've probably seen, uh, I've seen all of them once, of course, but uh, a, a couple of episodes I've seen twice. This I'm one, so, I think I only saw once. I'm so glad you said this is Frank before you started talking because... I have a feeling a lot of people still haven't kind of, they really haven't worked out whose voice belongs to who yet. <laughs> you know what? We don't we don't do intros uh, on the show really, and so anyone that were just to kind of pop in on an episode randomly, because sometimes I'll do that. I'll find a podcast. Oh, that looks interesting. Pop in, people talking. Well, for the remainder I, of the episode, I want you to say this is Frank before you ever say anything. This is Frank. I can do that. Bill, this is a good. This is a good week too. Oh, oh. Uh, let me let me let me start off. Um, my pronoun? No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, I am Bill, and uh, you can find me at at the voice hhw, and uh, and then there's uh, at Frank A Rincon over there, and uh, there's at uh, Brad Milo. Is that it? Yeah. Like uh, Brad the Brad the sweet dude or anything like no. that. Brad the a hole Milo. Um, how many times <laughs> have you seen these episodes, Bill? Uh, I've seen um, uh, I've seen uh, the Marshall two or three times. And I've seen the Passenger at least twice. Okay. So, um, chapter nine, the Marshall. Yeah, um, I, I did have to go back and um, uh, just revisit the wiki page. Okay, that was that episode. That was that episode. Um, some of these in the middle here. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure I've seen any uh, Mandalorian episodes uh, chapter eleven on down. Because the way my brain Are you works, making noise with your hands on your knees just then? Yeah. It was, was probably was, cutting in your you're, mic. Yeah, you're okay. breaking. This is Frank. Bill, you're breaking up fierce. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brad. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the uh, 
the Wikipedia summary, the Mandalorian has been tasked with returning his charge, a child, to its people, the Jedi. He begins searching for other Mandalorians who he believes can help him find the Jedi and is directed to a rumored Mandalorian operating out of the Tatooine town, Mos Pelgo. There he learns that this there is no Mandalorian in Mos Pelgo, but is confronted by Marshal Cobb Vanth, who wears Mandalorian armor. Vanth explains that he freed his town from the control of the mining collective using this armor, which he bought from Jawas in the desert. The town is now frequently attra- attacked by a crate dragon, Vanth agrees to give the Mandalorian armor back to its people in exchange for help killing the crate dragon. The Mandalorian arranges an, an agreement between the villagers of Mos Pelgo and a local clan of Tusken Raiders to work together to kill the crate dragon in exchange for peace between the groups. They lure out the crate dragon, which is ultimately killed by the Mandalorian. He leaves with Vanth's armor, watched by a scarred Boba Fett. <clears throat> I've seen, what's that, Bill? So, that's good. I think I think we may have missed a few details, but uh, well, yes. Again, that was just the, the, the Wikipedia summary, so we can get detail-oriented. You guys get money to Wikipedia every year. Do they? You know, um, money in like November or something like that, and I'll always throw them like a, a Fenske or a 10 spot or something. I'll throw them a Hamilton or something, Yeah. That's nice. Stand there good. I always knew you were a sweet guy. Open source, uh, uh, unaccountable uh, uh, dictionaries, uh, alive and well, right? Yes. Um, so this this one had the series open them going to a uh, a boxing match, a wrestling match, correct? Yeah, Gamorians uh, fighting each other. Yeah, that was a. Uh, there were a lot of Easter eggs inside that um, uh, inside that um, fighting ring. I mean, we saw a whole bunch of uh, different types of uh, uh, of Star Wars characters or or races that we usually don't get to see. So that that was kind of a fun uh, a fun start to it. And Brad, I, Brad or Bill, I think you guys know this. Who was the voice of the of the main guy that the Mandalorian was after? Wow, I'm not sure. You mean the the guy that was that had the information? Yeah. Well, okay, it's it was John Leguizamo, but I don't think it right. sounded like John Leguizamo at all. But that's probably yeah, they, by design. Yeah, they definitely processed his his voice to to no end. But I thought that that was kind of cool. That that uh that was just a neat surprise. It wasn't until um I guess I at least rewatched the beginning of that that I could. You know, you would have to have told me that that was John Leguizamo. Um, but when I rewatched it, I was just like, oh, yeah, that that that, that is him. You could tell by listening, huh? I couldn't. Yeah. Well, I mean, only because I then knew. I yeah. would have never picked it up just on my own. Right. I have had a man crush on Timothy Oliphant for years. Years oh, and, and years. And yeah, and tell us uh, who he is. Well, he played Cobb Vanth, right. Marshal of the town. He was he the character he played in this episode was basically his character from Justified, Raylan Givens, I think, if I remember that character's name correctly. He was a good old boy cowboy, uh, U.S. Marshal, which is funny because in this you know episode he was the Marshal of the town. But I think he's wonderful. Uh, he's got a great head of hair that I'm super jealous of. And, uh, 
I would I just want to be best friends with him. Did you um when we first see him and he turns to that corner and he's wearing the Mandalorian um, armor, he looks so goofy in it because he's so tall and lanky and it, it, (laughs) he, he, he looks like, uh, he's wearing the equivalent of like high water pants, (laughs) you know, it fits him awkward, awkwardly. And, uh, it gives, um, uh, more credence to the, uh, the, the question are asking as uh, season two is, uh, is, is maturing and, and completing in the end that, um, so you've got, you got a little chest plate and you got a little, a uh, little bit of armor on your shoulder pads and you get shot 87 times and somehow all of them, mirad- you know, miraculously only hit the chest plate and the shoulder pads. <laughs> so, right. on, uh, on Cobb Vanth, uh, especially, uh, you can see where all the uh, so-called weak points in his uh, in his, his defenses might be, because you know the armor is kind of hanging off him like uh, like I don't know like uh, um, like the scarecrow wearing something that's uh, quadruple X. It's just it, it's kind of funny. If there's any kind of suspension of disbelief that I find myself confronted with a lot, it has a lot to do with people wearing armor and always getting hit. You know. In, on the armor or the bulletproof vest that they have to, you know, happen to keep. If I was going to kill somebody or, or shoot somebody, I would aim for a leg or an arm or something like that, that I knew that I could visually see didn't have any, uh, armor, but you know, those legs and arms are moving all over the place. Whereas your chest kind of stays in one spot. You know, I get, I understand what you're saying though, Bill. It's, it's, uh, and then sometimes, well, yeah. you know, some shows will go go to great lengths to say, you know, the armor has weak spots. Make sure you hit in between the, uh, you know, the chest and the and the and the head, or hit the neck, or hit the armpit, or whatever. But yeah, you're right. You know, if they, uh, um, my, I would shoot the foot because if you shoot someone in the foot, just like if you step someone on step on someone's toe, what's the first thing they do? They do they take the foot up and then they kind of do a little bit yeah. of a hop. Then their balance right. is off. Chances are they'll probably even turn their back towards you or <laughs> fall over. Taking, yeah, yeah, and then you shoot them in the back. That's right. <laughs> hey, it's going to be off. That's for sure. Where does Cobb Vance go to purchase more backpack uh, jetpack rockets on Tatooine? Uh, I, I, I actually did think about this, and all I could. I think it's a standard or, or ordinance that you can probably just make yourself. If you, you know, if you know how to make bullets, yeah. you can you can make another one. So it's more about the tech that shoots it than the um, than the rocket itself. It's always. Go ahead, Bill. I was. That's um, that was a very insightful uh, thing you said there, Frank. I was uh, frankly shocked by it. <laughs> Yeah, not that not that you would say something insightful, just that you said that insightful thing, right? Because uh, yeah, I'd never thought about it that way, and uh, that actually, um, oddly enough, makes a lot of sense. So, uh, golf clap to you, sir. Thank you. Yes. When we first see this town, most Pelgo on the wide shot, as we follow uh, the Mandalorian on his speeder bike driving towards it, it's a super tiny town. I mean, it's like. It's just nothing. It's like a hundred yards long. 
of a, one main street with buildings on either side. It seems like a whole lot of n- nothing to be even concerned with taking over or robbing. I don't know. That that just kind of struck me odd that it was so small that they were having they were always having trouble. You know what I mean? Oh, we yeah. hit that town up that that last week. We took all their stuff. Why go back? There's nothing there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah, there's uh, like there's like 23 people in the whole town, and and uh, somehow they they get stuff back often enough for raiders to to keep dropping in. <laughs> yeah, that was the only thing that really when, kind of scratched my head about it. That, that's the that's the only town between two metropolises. So that's the that's the that's the one stop that you have to make when you're traveling to from point A to point B. You have to stop at this one dunky town. That has water and fuel, I guess. Well, speaking of metropolises, uh, I was kind of, did we get the impression, are there really kind of only two towns in like all of Tatooine or did we just not see the entire globe? I, I was thinking that too, when, when, uh, Amy Sedaris's character pulls up the map, you know, Hey, bring the map over here, droid. And she goes, here's Mos Espa. And here's most Isley, and in between you got most Pelgo. Like she only pointed out those three places, you know. And I'm trying to yeah. think um, of, of other places on uh, Tatooine that have been mentioned. We, you know, in in episode four they mentioned Anchorhead. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe she was just talking about this general region of Tatooine. And- and those are the two main landmarks. And oh, by the way, most Pelga should be here, but it's not anymore, or something like that. And was was Tashi Station? Oh yeah, Tashi Station. You know why didn't yeah. she why didn't she mention that up? Because as we all know, they're the that's where you go to get your power converters. Yeah, everybody knows that. Um, uh, largest settlement on the planet is Mos Eisley. Uh, Mos Espa. A rugged city with desert-proof domed buildings, a slave quarter, and a pod racing track. Uh, Anchorhead is uh, right next to, um, uh, it's just south of Moss Eisley. Um, Beston is one of the early uh, settlements on Tatooine. It's nominal capital located near the Dune Sea, base of operations for the Galactic Empire's presence on the planet. Then the Jundlin Waste covers most of it, apparently. This is... uh, where, where where did the uh, where did the pod races I was happen? Just about to ask in in episode one, what what city or town did Shmi and Anakin live in? Was that Mos Espa? Uh, I don't know. That's a that's recall. a big town. Speaking of Anakin and pod racing, did y'all notice what Cobb Vanth was was driving for his speeder bike? I know I told you yes. beforehand did, not to let me remember. I did notice it, and I did assume that that's what it was. Well, it certainly looks just like it, and sounds just like one of the old engines yeah. from Anakin Skywalker's Pod Racer. I thought that was so cool, and um, it, it looks so obvious that it's got to be. My oh, my question yeah. via text was uh, canon or coincidence. Well, I think <laughs> they went way out of their way to make you know that that's his because it sounds just like the Pod Racer sounded. In episode one, I think it was really awesome. Absolutely, yes. And considering that that uh, each pod had its own uh, visual style and sound profile, exactly, um, it makes sense. Uh, you know, 
the the uh, the evidence does point to the fact that uh, yeah we're we're going to think that uh, he's actually using uh, one of those uh, uh, one of those pods from uh, from young Annie back when he still thought that uh, um, that his, uh, his his future queen was uh, was an angel. What does mm-hmm. your heart tell you? Oh, <laughs> I thought this heart- episode. Your heart, what, Bill? My heart wonders if you're an angel. Mm. One of the things I liked about this episode was that it kind of gave us more about the sand people. We see them in a little more depth. We kind of get to know them a little better. Um, You know, they've always been kind of just this surface threat, you know, and it shows that they can be civil. They can compromise as long as everybody you know they can strike a bargain they're not just out to kill and raid and every man for himself they're willing to strike a deal when when it's appropriate and mutually beneficial and And they have pets they love their pets that's pretty cool uh so do you think this episode was meant to establish one that great dragons can eat that are big and can eat um, a sarlacc so that we can put that together to figure out that Boba was why Boba was still alive. Well, because he was like the inner part of a turducken. It was like, yeah, a <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boba is inside the sarlacc, which is inside the crate dragon. Well, the, I think what happened was that the, Crate dragon ate the sarlacc, right. and then he somehow escaped that. It's possible. There's always the bigger fish. Yeah, there's always a bigger fish. It's possible that it was the same sarlacc, but it might not have been. I think you can see on Boba Fett at the end, and especially when he shows up in an episode later in the season, his face is very scarred. Um, it looks like he's waded through stomach acid and things like that mm-hmm. to to get out. So. Um, it it could be that the Sarlacc was the same one that this crate dragon ate, but you never know. That's I suppose it's I don't I don't think we'll we'll really ever know, but that's a good thought. You know why why do you think Boba never went back to get his armor from Vance? I've wondered about this because later on when we when he catches up with Din Djarin, he says, you got your armor from Cobb Vanth on Tatooine. But uh, I wondered it, why. Maybe, I don't know, maybe he, why didn't he go to Mos Pelgo and take it? Is it because he was saw? He, he's an animal fighter. He can. He could have definitely taken it whenever he, he wanted. Is it because In he my, saw uh, uh, Cobb Vanth doing good with it and protecting a town and his people. That is, that is the headcanon I've come up with. It's been five years since he's that he's been on Tatooine, right? Doesn't Mandalorian take place five years after return of the Jedi? Yeah. Yeah. So he's been on Tatooine for five years looking for that armor. You'd think he would have found it after all. There's only what? Four or five places on Tatooine to go look. Here, each town, you've covered the planet at that point. It, yes. it, uh, the, let's just not worry about the math so much. Would you like some fun facts about Sarlaccs? I'm not questioning whether or not a Kray Dragon could actually eat a Sarlacc. And and before people come at me, bro, uh, this is off of StarWars.com. So 
you know, just to take that, uh, take that, uh, that, um, objection and sit on it. Um, uh, fun fact number one, they don't become adults until they're 30,000 years old. Wow. So that gives, uh, um, that gives a whole new perspective to uh, him taking a thousand years to properly digest a true. meal. That's true. It uh, still seems like he is, uh, you know, maybe if uh, the Mandalorian, ex- excuse me, if the Sarlacc exercised a little more, it would kind of bump its metabolism up a little bit, you know? Then maybe he could move faster and wouldn't have to, you know, he would have to eat a little more often than once every thousand years. Is that how that worked out? I don't know. Uh, number two, uh, fun fact number two is that uh, they burrow really far into the ground for lunch. And uh, my favorite fun fact is that uh, um, they're actually super tall. This is this is the salient part of this uh, set of fun facts, uh, people. So according to Ultimate Star Wars, the Sarlacc that Jabba particularly employs I was looking for how many Sarlaccs are there on Tatooine, by the way, and uh, I'm still looking for that. But uh, this says that uh, at least the Sarlacc that Jabba employed was 100 meters long. You're seeing the tip of the So the Sarlacc is actually stretching well over 300 feet down into the ground. That is some nightmare fuel for you there. Just trying to imagine the rest of the body attached to that mouth. Ugh. And and it it also makes you wonder. Okay, so uh, you know if it takes a thousand years, going through the GI tract is probably a slow process. But it does make you wonder physically how far underground Boba Fett was when he got swallowed by the Sarlacc and had to escape, presumably using I don't know something like I don't know a laser gun or a jetpack or a uh, or a what? Flammenwerfer, yes, yes. <laughs> For the Germans in the audience, uh, uh, you all are smiling quietly to yourselves, and uh, the rest of you don't know what the heck I'm talking about. But I do have a, uh, I have a pal, uh, I have a friend, I have a, uh, I have a mensch in the uh, living room with me. Might, uh, might poke uh, extra fun facts at me from time to time. We so, did uh, mention at the beginning that you were stuck in Norman. You were, uh, you spent the night last night uh, at uh, your buddy Mike's house. Who yes, was, well, has been on our program before? Yes, yes. Uh, Mike uh, joined us for um, uh, talk of uh, was it uh, uh, the Last Crusade? Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade. That may have been it. It was like episode sixty-six or something. So uh, go go check your archives and uh, and dig it, man. <laughs> yes, right there. Right there. Um, um, sorry, the last fact: uh, scary sounds actually come from pizza and gators. You figure it out. And uh, the last fun fact here, just to get through this, you're welcome, is uh, it says here, uh, the ultimate factivity collection, um, um, Sarlaccs reportedly have more than one stomach. Yes. Um, uh, We also see uh, all of their sharp teeth in the pit of Carcoon, several rows, uh, which honestly must must be a fortune in dental bills, yes. Yes. yeah, of course, the awful, uh, the sprawling tentacles drag victims down to the Sarlacc's beak. And then uh, once you're past the beak, which I hate, it's just, it's like you're looking at the underside of a uh, of an octopus, you know, or a squid or something like that. It's like, I'm sorry, but, but creatures like that, they're all tentacly. They shouldn't have beaks. There's something terribly wrong with all that, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. I'm, maybe it's just me. Beaks are supposed to be up there in the air, you know, picking picking out, uh, you know, like like um, mosquitoes or very small rocks. 
but apparently uh, beaks, the, they, they got all the surplus beaks and they gave them to all the, uh, the under, undersea tentacly creatures. So, um, yuck. I hate this, beaks. Uh, uh, th- this episode also has the, uh, the fun scene at the end uh, of, um, uh, of the Mandalorian with that hunk of meat uh, that he uh, that they end up eating at the uh, at the repair shop. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he takes some meat Drag- back to the the uh, lady at the uh, hangar. <laughs> I don't know why that struck me as so funny. And, I mean, what's not funny about having a gigantic, uh, you know, a gigantic raw hunk of meat about the size of a motorcycle helmet uh, strapped to your back for, uh, you know, for a half day's drive? And actually, <laughs> we don't we don't see that happen until episode two, Frank. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, no, that's we're going to talk about episode two in here in a minute, but that's when that happens. Are we? Because I've got some more tangents I can go on if we're trying to kill time. I just had one observation about the crate dragon. <laughs> I had one observation about the crate dragon. It eats a lot of sand when it. Yeah. When it takes a you know a bite of a Tuscan Raider or a, a Bantha or something, and it's just full of sand, and it must be that sand is to crate dragon as water is to fish. You know what I mean? It just his biology must have developed that the sand just goes through. Maybe it helps him dissolve or, or digest like stones in a gizzard, you know, pebbles in a gizzard or whatever. Oh, yeah. But I just thought it was interesting that he was always eating sand whether he wanted to or not. Yeah, maybe maybe yeah. sand is is like nature's broom to a crate dragon. That's right. You know, it's just <laughs> You said like this lettuce. cleans up the system. Say it again, Bill. Like lettuce is to a human. There you go. Maybe that's... Or an apple. We, we used to call apples uh, nature's broom. <laughs> you, you, you called fiber that. You've called referred to fiber as nature's broom since the inception yeah. of Half Hour Wasted. <laughs> is Mike going to, going to the store, pick up some breakfast tacos or something? I think he's going to... Uh, um, no, no, I, I thought he was going to uh, uh, get in his pack, uh, which would have been weird in an apartment. Tell Mike I'd appreciate it if he'd put some pants on, please. <laughs> the uh, HHW gang are uh, ready for you to put pants on, just for the record. I, I told you. I know. I, well, I've got my camera on. You stepped in front of me. I don't know. What else do y'all want to say about episode one? Uh, I thought it was a, a fantastic way to reintroduce us um, uh, to the Mandalorian. Uh, I love the fact that it's it's so uh, it's such a trope that uh, a sequel like you know a, well anything uh, Mandalorian season two being quote a sequel unquote uh, to season one where you expect that well you know there's going to be less heart there's going to be more explosions there's going to be more money spent there's going to be more characters you know the the classic uh, uh, sequelitis where everything's got to be bigger and bolder and you know more expensive and louder and and to see that that uh, Favreau and uh, Filoni uh, are so stinking smart that they have resisted this urge and that they are uh, continuing to give us uh, um, what are, are fairly not small stories, but they're fairly intimate stories. You know, we're, we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to deal with a galaxy wide war or anything like that. This is, you know, this is one person's issue 
and you know he deal. It just I, I I love the scale of it. Um, yeah. Clearly, you know, clearly they're doing things right. As we go through the second season, um, you'll see that um, uh, they that that sequelitis does kind of uh, creep in, but it happens I think pretty organically, and uh, that's all about that. So, uh, so for congratulations, boys. For me, this is the uh, this is where you start to see the softer side of the Mandalorian and him actually learning to trust and work with other people. He's been a loner for the most part, but now uh, and throughout this whole season, he's learning to let people in and trust, which is um, uh, which is like a big step and and part of the whole story arc for his character that you. Uh, that you learn to to appreciate. Yeah, I think there's not many bounty hunters who have uh, who have lots and lots of friends. So yeah, one of the little moments I liked about this episode was at the beginning when uh, we first meet Cobb Vanth, and he says, "Join me for a drink." He sits down at the table. The camera's behind him. You see the Mandalorian walking toward him, and Cobb Vanth reaches up and pulls the helmet off, and it just stops Din Djarin dead in his tracks. Like, why are you taking your helmet off? This is not the way, you know, but then we get, he goes right into that dialogue where he's like, yeah, I bet you're uh, freaking out a little bit right now about me taking my helmet off and what, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then he goes, we're going to do this right now in front of the kid. You know, they stand up to shoot it out and then the vibrations just start happening, the rumbling and stuff. And they're not saying anything, but they both hear it and feel it. And, and the, uh, Cobb Vanth just raises a finger and basically without saying it, he goes, hang on one, just one second. Mm-hmm. Just, let's put a pin in this and then they go outside and see the crate dragon. I thought those little moments were nice. I like those. I just thought uh, it was the kind of you get with a uh, filmmaker who was not as assured of themselves as, uh, as John Favreau too. Um, I, I don't think that a, a bad director would, uh, would allow for, for little moments like that. Um, uh, I just, uh, you know, this, this is the Mandalorian uh, uh, proves to be uh, um yeah, as good as literally anything we've seen since the '80s. So, agree. Um, pretty stunning uh, to see the continuation of something that was uh, surprisingly was and continues to be darn good. We we also get a, a rare flashback here. Uh, we normally don't get flashbacks in uh, in in the Star Wars universe, so that was kind of fun. Explain. Uh, when Cobb Vance talks about getting his armor. Oh, that's right. That's Oh, I'm yeah. glad you... I'll make this brief. <clears throat> so, I mentioned this before, but again, I'll do it since we're actually talking about the episode. So, when Disney bought Lucasfilm, they wiped out all the old Expanded Universe novels. They made them uncanon anymore. They call them legends. Well, they started writing, you know, publishing their own books, and the first trilogy that came out was called the Aftermath Trilogy. It took place two or three months after uh, episode six. And in uh, the first book, sometime after Return of the Jedi, we meet this character, Cobb Vanth. And again, this was published in 2015. So I don't know how much planning, maybe it was serendipity that they were able to use this character in this show. But in uh, the first book of the Aftermath trilogy, written by Chuck Wendig, we, we meet Cobb Vanth and we see how he acquires a set of Mandalorian armor. It never in the book never refers to it as Boba Fett's armor, but they go to great lengths to spell out how he gets 
his Mandalorian armor from Jawas in a sand crawler. And the details were a little different in the TV show, but it's basically the same concept. So that was, that was, you know, 2015, like I said, when that was published. So I wonder how much planning went into it, if they knew they were going to use it eventually to bring Boba Fett back or whatever. But I thought that was a, a, a neat bit of storytelling, how they were able to bring that into the TV show. The, uh, the pre-planning is what's appreciated there. Uh, even if nothing were to have ever come with it, it's something that they can reach back to at some point. Yeah. I, I, whether or not it was always intended to manifest itself this way on TV, the fact that they were able to do that was just brilliant. And I think they couldn't have picked anybody better than Timothy Oliphant. Because I swear to you, when I read the book, in my mind... I heard and pictured Timothy Oliphant <laughs> and maybe it was because of my man crush fascination with him, but the way they, he wrote the character, it just lent that performance to it in my brain. So anyway, do you think they'll ever bring that character back? I expected to see him near the end of the season when Mandalorian starts gathering allies to help. Yeah. I expected to I see I was him. expecting that too. I sure hope we see him again, maybe next season. Um, well, let's move on to episode two. Why don't we? Yeah, let's do that. Episode two, chapter 10, The Passenger, directed by Peyton Reed, who directed Yay! both of the Ant-Man movies, who also directed uh, an episode or two of season one. Um, and I'll just go ahead and get it out of the way. We see a Ant-Man Easter egg right away at the beginning of, <laughs> of this episode when the, uh, the uh, harbor, not harbor, the hangar lady. I don't even know Amy Sedaris's character's name, but, you know, the, the, the girl, he, the Mandalorian keeps running into when he parks on Tatooine. The anyway. mechanic. Yeah, we'll just call her the mechanic. She, uh, she's playing poker with a big ant. I thought that was funny. Yeah. The summary is as follows. The Mandalorian agrees to take a frog lady and her eggs from Tatooine to the estuary moon Trask, where her husband will fertilize the eggs in exchange for information on other Mandalorians. Due to the eggs' fragility, they must travel at slow sublight speeds. On their journey, they are confronted by X-Wing fighters who force the Mandalorian to a nearby icy planet because he is wanted by the New Republic for his role in a prison break. Semicolon. He crash lands on the planet. Period. While the Mandalorian fixes the ship, comma, the child stumbles upon numerous eggs inside an ice cave, which hatch to reveal a swarm of spider-like creatures, EBGBs. The Mandalorian, child, and passenger are trapped in the Razor Crest, the, Mandalor the Mandalorian's ship, until the X-Wing pilots find them and kill the creatures. They explain that because the Mandalorian helped apprehend his accomplices from the prison break, they will drop the arrest warrant and leave him with a warning. After the Mandalorian finishes the repairs, the tattered Razor Crest takes off and resumes its journey to Trask. This episode was, for me, fun. And it's really a very good thing that I do not suffer from arachnophobia. <laughs> I'm sure that there were plenty of people. My kid, Ashley you know, hate spiders. Allison hasn't seen season two yet. She actually hasn't seen season, all of season one yet. She's seen the parts of it, which is really 
making me consider writing her out of my will, but I haven't done that yet. <laughs> but anyway, um, a lot of I've heard a lot of people say that they couldn't watch this because they hate spiders so much. The really? um, uh, this episode has the um, uh, which will lead to other parts of the Mandalorian uh, story arc where just the razor crust just gets torn to pieces and uh, it's kind of fun. I, I always enjoy watching spaceships that are on their last leg, you know, being held together and, and it's just going to get worse for the razor crust. But, yeah. uh, but this is the beginning of like, like how is that thing even going to fly? Yeah. This was a fun episode. And yeah. of course the most fun part of this episode is that baby Yoda loves his snacks. Oh, Hey, don't start with that. That, uh, uh, this episode, um, spawned the first, uh, uh, controversy of the series as, uh, people online were outraged that, uh, that he would deign to, uh, uh consider, uh, his snack food, a snack food. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, feel bad. Um, um, Favreau, uh, Favreau and Filoni kind of had to go out and kind of mea culpa themselves. Go, sorry, realized people were going to get so upset about this. Well, yeah, when you when you see the mom carrying when you see the mom carrying the eggs, right, and you know that they're babies, that that gives it a different picture. You know, suddenly these babies have purpose, and uh, and they're not just generic eggs. Well, did we know that they're actually babies, or were they just unfertilized eggs at that point? Uh, you know, uh, uh, they have the potential for life. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? You and, and, and she mentions the, two eggs someone mentions that this is a race that's on the um, brink of extinction at she, some point. Well, she does basically. It's well, she mentions that this is the end of her family line. That's what it is. Yeah. And that and that kind of carries some weight too. So to see Baby Yoda doing that, it's just like. Uh, all I have to do, all I have to say for people who are upset about this is get a freaking life. <laughs> it's fiction. It's a TV show. It does not <laughs> reflect reality. I hate people so much. I hate people so much. You know, this last year has proven to me just how rotten and despicable the human race can be. Welcome to 2021, everybody, on this episode of Half Hour Wasted. I freaking hate people. Having said that, yesterday, when I pulled up to the drive through window in the Taco Bueno drive through line, I handed in my debit card, and the guy says, um, your meal has already been paid for by the person that just drove off. And I said... Oh. What? And my heart melted a little bit, and I thought, maybe people aren't that bad. But then Bill reminds me about people who get upset at a TV show, <laughs> fictional character eating fictional possible babies, and I just go right back to square one. Oh, it gets worse. Just wait till we have to talk about Cara Dune here in another uh, couple of episodes. Oh. Separate the fiction from reality, people. That's all I could say. Separate fiction, fiction from reality. Brad, I know Taco Bueno is your favorite. I thought that they had gone out of business. Well, they, like many businesses, they uh -huh. are. But, I mean, pr pr prior to the, uh, uh, no. before the 
pandemic. I thought they had declared bankruptcy and closed down. Uh, they did not close all the way down. Okay. Just because you mm -hmm. declare bankruptcy doesn't mean you're going to close, you know, everything right. down. You, it'll help you. It can help them reorganize and things like that. But they did shut down several locations. Okay, let's let's stop down for a moment so Brad can play the Michael Scott drop. Oh, uh, which one? I don't. I actually probably. You know what? I uh, bankruptcy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't have that one. Bankruptcy works, uh, Michael. Right. Um. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think. I think people are just so bored with life that they have to complain about something because if they don't complain about something, they realize they're completely useless as a human being because they aren't contributing to society in any society in any other way. That's human nature. Uh, when you don't have an external force to fight, you're going to, uh, you're going to, you're going to start to look to eating your own. Yeah. Speaking of eating your own, Baby Yoda sure loves his snacks, doesn't he? <laughs> An expert pullback there. Very oh, good. That is so well, Brad. You you truly are the best of us. You know, when the Razor Crest finally crashes through the ice and it and it knocks everybody out, and then Din Djarin wakes up and he goes downstairs looking for the for the eggs, you know, and he finds the eggs, he pulls back a tarp that's completely covering baby Yoda. And yes, I'm calling him baby Yoda because it sounds cute. When we learn the child's name, I will refer to him as his name, but currently he is baby Yoda. Even though technically he's not baby Yoda, I refuse to call him the child <laughs> because it's not as cute as baby Yoda. So he pulls the tarp back to reveal baby Yoda chowing down on baby eggs. Do we think baby Yoda literally pulled the tarp over across him to hide him like he oh, yeah. did that on purpose so he could get away with having more snacks i have no doubt None <laughs> you know, the, the the thought is pretty damn adorable so yeah yeah, yeah. and what you, you, you know how sneaky a stupid dog can be yeah you know, well, or cat. this I'm, this is a 50 year old uh, uh this is a 50 year old whatever yoda is when i had um child, young children living in the house with me I would walk in the walk-in pantry and close the door and eat the cookies with the door closed so they couldn't see what I was doing. Oh my goodness! <laughs> uh, cute, cute story about my. Uh, I have two nieces. Back when they were when they were toddlers, um, you know, four or five, I guess. I walked into the kitchen and uh, the refrigerator door was open, and there was a two-liter Coke on the ground. And the older of, the, of them was trying to open it, and the younger of the two was holding a cup going, me, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they had concocted a plan to get the, the, the soda and That's to open funny. it, and the older one was doing her best to open it. It was adorable. That's you know. Yeah, we can use more totes and dorbs in 2021. Everybody deserves that. Yeah. Hey, let's let's give a, a shout out to that person who bought Brad's lunch. You yeah, know, thank, thank you. you for doing that. Thank you, random stranger. You know, a lot of times I'll go on quote unquote rants for comedy, but a lot of times the rants are based in truth. But I, uh, I always try to to find positivity in the world. I really do. So, um, nice. <clears throat> you were kind of like a crispy spider sandwich. Yeah. So, yeah. <clears throat> what I. Uh, one of the th images in this episode that really struck me is when, when they go, 
you know the 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 frog lady goes to take a hot tub right she goes <laughs> to take a, a constitutional around the way and she's got her uh her baby eggs there and they find yeah. her in the hot tub and baby yoda he's you can hear baby yoda whenever he gets around food you can always hear him sniff <laughs> it's really subtle but it's there it's like and he he turns and he looks at all the eggs that are sitting out there with all those hundreds of eggs that really made me think of the eggs in the ship on, in the first alien, you know, when they found all the alien eggs sitting there, I thought that was, I mean, that's what struck me at first, but I'm pretty sure we were supposed to, because that's exactly what it looked like. And then when the little ones hatch and they start crawling across the ground, you know, that reminded me of face huggers, but yes, I'm, I could find alien imagery in a lot of things that maybe wasn't supposed to be there just because I'm such a fan. But um, I thought it was funny that uh, the frog lady, did she just go exploring and find the hot tub or did she sense it or, or what? How, how do you think that happened? I'm, I'm going to lean towards she sensed it like um, she needed she needed warmth. I think is what, is what happened. I think just motherly instincts just yeah. took her there uh, because they, they were kind of in a bad place after the razor crest, you know, landed, they right. knew they were going to be there for a while. And yeah. uh, I think it was just her just, just trying to keep her baby safe or her eggs safe. Man, that was a lot of spiders. It was a crazy amount. It was, uh, during the episode, there were, there was a period of time where it's just like there is no way, there is no way they're getting out of this. You know, I've heard people, some people say an argument could be made that this was a wasted episode because it really didn't quote unquote further the story, but it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Well, it was um, one thing we're going to uh, find, I think, a number of times in season two, uh, if. If people are looking for a reason to nitpick the Mandalorian, um, uh, then, I mean, you'll find something. But what I think uh, is most likely you would find is the fact that uh, season two, uh, a lot of the episodes are essentially side quests. Mm -hmm. So the the structure of the season feels very much to me like uh, like a video game. I don't know if that's on purpose, but... uh, um, the start, okay, here's your mission. Here's an introductory thing. Now here's, here's a ton of side quests. And then at the end, you're going to have a boss battle. Yeah. Well, the, the side quest to me feel like it's the, it, it's, it, they're, they're seeking information that, you know, it takes you here, then it takes you here, then it takes you here. Then finally you get to, to what you said, the, the boss battle, but it's, it's for a, me, it's a, it's a subtle way to develop the character and not an obvious way. Those well, side quests just build on, on, you know, w- w- what the Mandalorian needs to go through to become the man he does at the end of this episode or at the end of the series. Hunt is a tried and true storytelling device and, and it works fine. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not complaining about it. I'm just uh, pointing it out. Um, I'm, uh, again, I, I've gotten to a point in my life where I'm I'm willing to just spend, you know, 35, 45 minutes w- with the Mandalorian. Um, I'm not as concerned with uh, exactly what he does. I don't have an agenda for him. I'm going to let him take me on the ride. So uh, it's not a complaint by me in any way. Um, uh, just, a, just an observation that uh, the storytelling structure... Um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to reconcile the the Mandalorian season two. Is this, is this 
you know, episodic format? Is this a, a season long arc format? It's a little bit of each. Um, uh, in this day and age where, where many shows are like uh, Discovery or the Umbrella Academy or something like that, where the entire season is essentially, you know, one long, you know, is essentially one book. Um, you know, I, and it doesn't matter. It's just, uh, you know, I've, the Mandalorian is awesome, but, uh, um, you know, what kind of structure, you know, uh, are they trying to tell here um, uh, with the story? Uh, again, I think it, it's completely irrelevant, but, uh, you know, just a, a, a flight of mental fancy for me. I think it's a little bit of both based on what you said and, and then what Frank said. There's a little bit of, yeah, it feels like a side quest, but he's it's always got an objective you know, to learn something to finally get to his end game, right? He has to go off on a little jaunt, a little tangent to get one more bit of information that'll help him finally get back to his main goal. And they, they do kind of feel like side quests, but there's always a reason for him. I think yeah. to me, the, this, the, this is this definitely is. a case of the, uh, of the journey. It's not about the destination. It's more about the journey. I think it's really interesting how this uh, uh, this totally mirrors the structure of like a Star Trek Discovery, and uh, the the contrast between the rest of the way they tell the stories is just is stunning. And I'm not here to I'm not here to uh, to monologue about Star Trek Discovery anyway. Just uh, an observation that. Uh, that the the structure of the way they're building their their seasons out is basically chapters in a book and a single book is uh, uh, is kind of an interesting new uh, storytelling um, uh, device that that people are using in this in this day of of ten you know eight ten twelve episode seasons um, uh, it, it makes more sense too you know you you could not should not do that in a twenty two episode season um, but you know. Um, much, you know, if you want to tell something that wasn't purely episodic, you pretty much would have to do that in uh, something as short as, you know, eight to ten episodes. So um, it's all good. Uh, Bill, you you mentioned the the fact that they're they're telling it like a like a graphic novel or a book, and I think that's mirrored in the titles because each title is a chapter, each episode is a chapter. This is chapter ten. Yes, and uh, and so it's like a uh, it, it's just like some some type of epic. Uh, um, I don't want to say epic novel, but but just an epic story that you know each chapter is just another step that that character, yeah, of that character getting developed. I'm sure it's happened before because I haven't seen every television show ever made. But uh, the first show I remember doing that uh, was just a couple of years ago. It was the uh, the, the criminally underrated um, Into the Badlands, uh, where then. Uh, that show had a grand total of 24 or 25 to 30 episodes total. But I, I thought it was really weird when, you know, season one was, you know, chapter one through chapter 10. And then season two was not chapter one of season two. It was chapter 11. I was like, what? Oh, okay. That's uh inconsequential in the the grand scheme, but uh, that's kind of a cool little detail that, uh, that they consider this to be simply the next story in one long story that we're telling and um uh, it'll be interesting to see if the other uh, star wars shows follow that same uh, numerical convention or not i think a lot of those shows we have coming up are going to be one-offs you know like maybe one season um 
<clears throat> some of them are just des- are described as limited series and, and event series, something like that. So, um, okay. I can see the Mandalorian going for a few more years if it remains as successful uh, as it has. Um, hey, Brad, yes, uh, a quick detail about the uh, about the spiders. I just found this little tidbit. Uh, they're based on a Ralph McQuarrie design that was originally meant to uh, appear in Empire Strikes Back, but yeah. never made it. Yeah, there's um there's a lot of his designs that never made it to screen that have found. Uh, originally made it to screen that have found their way into Star Wars um, in uh, this show and also in um, the sequel trilogy. There were a handful that were peppered in in that as well that they um, repurposed to be used as visuals, you know, in episode seven, eight, nine. So, yeah, uh, I've seen, um, if memory serves, they were designed to be. I think he the original intent was that it was going to be on Dagobah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember the image of it being in a swamp and it was a green looking type of dark thing. And, you know, but so they made it an ice spider now. But yeah, that's happening a lot. I think it's really cool that they're that they're doing that. If you haven't seen a lot of Ralph McQuarrie's old designs, you should really look them up because there's some dynamite things on there. <clears throat> now, I, I seem to remember toy wise too. They put out a limited series of Ralph McQuarrie designs for some of the uh, um, original characters of the original series, yeah. which are a lot of fun. Um, uh, there was one, uh, oh, it escapes me now. There was one I just wanted to so badly. Anyway, continue. Um, the two X-Wing pilots that we see at the beginning and the end we hear them at the beginning and we see them at the end. Did y'all recognize them? Uh, I recognize one of them and I need to make a comment about the other one. Okay. Go ahead and finish your thought. And I'll, the one that did the most talking. Yes. Uh, the Korean man. Yes. His name is Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Yeah. And he is an actor. He's currently probably most well known for, um, his work in a show called Kim's Convenience. It's a Canadian TV show. The first four seasons are on Netflix. And while I was off it for two weeks at Christmas, um, I did a lot of things, one of which was burn through all four episodes, uh, all four seasons of that. He's very funny on that show. Um, he does your stereotypical Korean uh, patriarch of the family type of deal. He owns a convenience store in... Uh, I can't remember what city it is in Canada, but it takes place in Canada. Anyway, he's a huge Star Wars fan, and on his Instagram, you can see a bunch of old of uh, of his own self created Star Wars costumes, a lot of stormtroopers yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. I mean, he's a huge Star Wars fan, so he was able to. Um, he plays uh, the guy named Captain Carson Tiva. And, so when we originally talked about the Mandalorian. Um, so many episodes ago, we just briefly touched on it. I was under the impression that uh, Mr. Lee was um, was just a Star Wars fan that they had cast. Yeah, uh, it wasn't until later I realized that no, he's a professional actor who is a Star Wars fan. So I yeah. had misspoke on that, but I'm glad you you brought up his resume. Yeah, if you need a a, a light hearted distraction that you want to ingest. 22 minutes at a time. You should watch Kim's convenience on Netflix. It's fun. Uh, 
the the man who plays the older son on that show is actually the actor who will be Shang Chi in the new Marvel Shang Chi movie that's uh, coming out eventually. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the other X Wing pilot is none other than Dave Filoni. Yay! And he doesn't have a speaking role at all. In fact, uh, did they ever give him a close-up or a shot? Yeah, there you can see him at the end, and you hear his voice at the beginning. He goes, "Hey, uh, Captain, can you can you switch over to channel two? I'm pretty sure that was Dave Filoni's voice. Okay. Oh, and the, you know, the droid that the Frog Lady hotwires to use as a vocabulator. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That voice was. And I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Richard Ayuade. Ayuade. Yeah. He's uh he's on that show, the It Crowd, the IT crowd, and I did that last yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, he did that last time, the It Crowd. I think it's funny saying it that way, but I'm just an idiot. Um, uh, yeah, he has a very specific look, and he's he's made ways into a couple of failed uh, American sitcoms too. But uh, he just but once you see him, you'll recognize his face. He's been in a handful of things. Got lots of curly, frizzy hair and big horn room glasses. Yeah, it looks like a, a definitely a cool nerd type of look. Yeah. Um, he was also uh, let's let's not forget that um, uh, Richard Ayoad was uh, also in the Mighty Boosh. So let's give credit where credit is due, shall we? <laughs> okay. Um, anything else about episode two? Uh, th this did have one scene that really did affect me. Uh, uh, it, it actually made me scared. It was when the spider, one of the baby spiders jumped on top of little baby Yoda's head and he couldn't get it off. Yeah. Uh, that was so terrifying for me. It was just, it, it felt real. And I got very emotional. Like, it was just like, Oh my God, baby Yoda. You're, we're invested in this little child's life, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> um, there was one other thing I had thought of. Shoot. Uh, I felt like uh, the episode was um, uh, fantastic, uh, if a little more lightweight. Yeah. Um, just because it was a little more self-contained, uh, even though there were uh, hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands of um, uh, those, those freaking, freaking spiders, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I tried to count the spiders in the scene to see if there were more. And uh, uh, the uh, the second Harry Potter movie, um, of course, in uh, Lord of the Rings, it was just Shelob. So uh, I don't remember uh, Shelob having a uh, an army of uh, trillions of uh, little creepy crawlies. She didn't. Uh, I literally just watched all three of those extended versions uh, during my two week hi work hiatus from work. Um, so that was fun. I watched one a day. Um, I did remember uh, the frequency with which. Uh, Baby Yoda farts and burps in this episode is is uh, is pretty high. It's pretty high. It's very subtle, but there's a lot of meep, a lot of little baby child farts. Uh, good, good episode. I can't wait to to do the rest of the series. Hey, Brad, this just popped into my head, and I don't know if you want to share it or not. If not, you can cut it out. But. Uh, you recently got the COVID shot. Oh, yeah. So we'll end this episode by just briefly mentioning I work at the Hearst Conference Center in Hearst, Texas. 
Tarrant County is the county we live in. Tarrant County has uh, requested the use of the Hearst Conference Center at, to function as a COVID, COVID vaccination distribution center. Um, they oh, are, wow. Yeah, they are um, <clears throat> putting they're, – they're trying to distribute the COVID vaccine uh, as quickly as possible. And for the next at least three months or so, uh, the, the Hearst Conference Center will be a uh, vaccination distribution center for the ta- right. for Tarrant County. So, COVID. say again. You'll be bathing in COVID. Yeah. Good luck. With- so, um, since I'm gonna be there around, you know, thousands of people, um, as many as twelve hundred a day at this point, and their target date is to is to roll two thousand people per day through their distributing the the vaccine. But anyway. Um, they made, uh, for all of us working there, they made the COVID vaccine available to us if we wanted to take it. It's the Moderna vaccine, which is the two-dose vaccine. You take 28 days apart. So um, last week or no, the week before, I got uh, dose number one. Early February, I'll get no- dose number two. Um, it just feels like a flu shot. You know, it's no big deal. I didn't have any reactions. I was tired the next day, but that happens sometimes when I get the flu shot too. Just a little low energy, but no big deal. One thing I did not do was I had it in my left shoulder and I should have worked that shoulder. You know, I should have massaged it. I should have just been active with it because later that night it started to hurt. The third night it hurt super bad. I woke myself up three or four times in the middle of the night because that that injection site was super sore. But other than that, it was nothing. Um, So, yeah, uh, you know, my recommendation is um, get the vaccine whenever you can. Um, I think it's going to be the only way we can really help fight this thing the most efficiently. So I think, uh, probably like Bill and myself, uh, I'm sure we, I couldn't imagine getting it before until after may, you know, they, they have this on, on the COVID website for Texas. They talk about the, this, you know, you have to be in this a one to get it first and then yeah, there, one B and there's stuff. a one a and one B and they, I think, at this point, even Tarrant County is only sticking with one A and one B. You know, it's like a certain age and older and underlying health yeah. conditions and things like that. But because I'm going to be there day in and day out around tons of people, they they want us to go ahead and you know have it that if, makes if, sense. if we so that choose it. Sense. So that's why I was fortunate enough to get it. I, my, I would. Uh, oh, go ahead, Bill. Uh, one of my friends uh, uh, actually works. Um, uh, as an accountant um, or a controller or whatever for um, uh, uh, a hospital. So um, uh, he, he ended up getting it because he's not, you know, he's not necessarily a first line, you know, first responder, but um, you know, he literally works in the hospital. I think, you know, he does most of his work from home these days, but yeah, he, um, he was the the first uh, person that I know uh, among uh, my 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 so-called gang who got the uh, got the flu probably the, you got the covid shot probably about the same time as you did and i don't remember whether it was the moderna one or one of the other couple uh, that are out there i've i've heard um, i've heard notes uh, there's a uh, newish uh, vaccine that uh, is theoretically only one dose but i couldn't tell you more about that yeah they're working on i think different companies are, are working on different types of vaccines and some are two and some are one but um, I just hope, hope, you know, I hope 2021 is going to be a better year for all of us. Um, I miss live concert performances, musical performances. I miss them so daggum much. It's just, I've resorted to putting my 
live concert Blu-rays on the TV just so I can feel like maybe I'm experiencing a concert <laughs> of some kind. But um, wow. well, for what it's worth, um, you know, we, there's hope. Uh, hope reigns eternal, I guess. But uh, uh, the NBA officially, uh, I've got uh, I got friends that work. Um, uh, for the Thunder, and uh, I've heard interviews with Mark Cuban, the owner of the Mavericks, and uh, they are hoping slash expecting that they'll be able to finish uh, this current season out in front of uh, crowds, um, possibly even full crowds. Um, so, you know, that may be uh, wishful thinking, but if so, you're talking about, you know, life being relatively back to normal by June at the latest. So, I guess you got to get that rollout, got to get, uh, get that herd immunity, um, you know built up so of the let's do of the four concerts i was supposed to go see last year three of them were uh canceled and i got my money back for the biggest one was rescheduled for one year later and that would be july that would be the big green day weezer fallout boy show that was supposed to take place at the brand new ballpark where the rangers play in right, yeah. globe, globe life is which which is the new one and which is the old one? A field and park. I can never keep them straight. Globe Life, um, Globe Life Field, I think, is the new one. Uh, Globe Life Park, I think, is the old one. Okay. Uh, well, in July, yeah. I'm, I'm scheduled to go see uh, that Green Day show in uh, at Globe Life. Uh, you just told me, and I can't remember the new one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't suppose it matters at this point, but um. Who knows if that'll end up being pushed again or canceled or whatever? But yeah. Anyway, I hope I hope ne- this year is going to be uh, better for everybody. Um, well, one- we we have a lot of experience under under our belts from twenty twenty, so yeah. we'll, we'll we'll be fine. One last thing before we go, I have to say, behind Bill is the skinniest closet door I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't figure that it's out. A- huh. It's an apartment. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's where Mike keeps his pool cues and uh, ironing yeah. boards. Yeah. Brooms, pool cues, ironing boards, and six foot ladders. They go in that closet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, this week. Next week will be uh, a non Mandalorian episode. And then I assume the week after that, we'll get back to Mandalorian. So uh, thanks for joining us. Hit us with that boilerplate, man. You've been listening to Half Hour Wasted, proud member of the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Send your questions and comments to halfhourwasted at gmail.com. Or you can follow us at Twitter at Half Hour Wasted. Leave us or any of the HHW LOD shows a voicemail at 469-298-9739. Or an easy way to remember it is Go Wax Type 9. Until next week, I'm Frank. I'm Brad. I'm not Baby Mando, but I'll play one on TV for you. And we'll see you next time on Half Hour Wasted. Wasted.